hooty hoo. Wow, I had that hooty hoo deep into my ear. Ooh, that was loud. <laughs> um, hey guys, welcome to episode. Where are we at? Thirty-two. Um, yeah, guys, this is like wow. This is a good episode. Um, yeah, this is an emotional one. I, this, this one made me feel things. <laughs> uh, but yeah, guys, I just. You know, I'm gonna just jump right into it. This guy, Phil, is a, is a just great dude, and his story is very emotional. Um, but in many ways, not just sad, but he's just a great guy and a great story to just have on here. I I didn't honestly, I didn't even know his story. I just knew he was a disabled person. Like I didn't know shit about him, and then he comes on here and he just is amazing. Like so. I'm not even gonna, I'm gonna try to talk less. <laughs> Let this guy have his day, okay? Um, I made another friend. Woohoo! My <laughs> friends are getting bigger. I, I, my group is getting bigger. I love this. I, I'm not talking very intelligent today because I'm tired from work and I just kind of came home and just went right to this. So I'm actually doing this after the interview. Um, but yeah, anyway, guys. You know, like, comment, subscribe, all that nonsense. Uh, it's not nonsense. Please do it. But I love y'all. Thank you again. And I will, uh, yeah, I will, uh, I will love you forever. Just keep supporting and, uh, share with whoever. And, uh, yeah, welcome my good newest pal, Phil. Okay, guys, I will, um, I'm going to do an intro before this, but um, I'm here with my new friend, Phil. We just kind of started talking here, and uh, so, um, yeah, I guess we can just jump right in. So, what's your, what, what is the condition that you have, or disability? Yeah, I'm a paraplegic level T4, which basically is about chest height, um, and so I'm paralyzed completely from the chest down. Chest down. Now, can you? Do you have any function in your arms? Yeah, I above that, above uh, chest height, um, I have completely normal function uh, in my arms, shoulders, and hands. So they're unaffected by uh, the power. Right, right, right. Um, I get. You know, I guess I was. <laughs> I'm looking at the geographic of it. I guess yes. Your shoulders are technically higher than your chest, but your arms dangle down past your stomach so you know um, yeah it's relative to your spinal column as it comes down your back uh, and so therefore the level of injury is below where the nerve and where the nerve control your arms if you like right um oh so where where you know i know i know this answer but where where do you live i live in a place called macclesfield in cheshire uh, which is in England. England, okay, wow. Um, so, where or when did this all start, and you know, of course, how how did it happen? Well, basically, what happened was uh, this: uh, my accident, my the, the, my situation is as a result of um, a road traffic accident, as it was called, and they're now road traffic collisions. But that's strictly not the case with my. Situation because there was no collision. It was just myself on a country road riding a motorcycle way too fast. Um, and I came to a corner, um, hit the corner far too fast, 
ran out of talent and luck um, and went around the corner, lost control of the motorbike, um, and that flipped me over the handlebars. I actually landed on my head, but fortunately, I had a good crash helmet on at the time, which saved my life, um, and then hit my back, and that broke my spinal column, and I, I was paralyzed instantly from that point, um, and have been ever since. So that's How old were you? Currently, uh, I was 19. How old are you now? 55. 55, okay. Um, so it's been a while. Right, it's been a while, so, you know, I mean, I guess you'll never get used to it, but you can, you basically at the point where this is probably as good as it's going to get as far as how comfortable you are with it. Yeah, I mean, you know, to say you don't get used to it is, is a valid point, but by the same token, you do get used to it right. as well. Right, right, Um. Um, and so my life has changed. You know, my life obviously changed beyond all recognition. Prior to that, I'd um, been in the Royal Marines. Um, and I uh, left after just, well, just short of a year. Uh, I did it in the Royal Marines. Um, and I think that that contributed uh, to a degree to my accident because I left the armed forces with a complete chip on my shoulder because I don't know why I did to this day um, because I completely regretted it. Um, I had a chip on my shoulder and to be quite honest, um, I was a thoroughly dislikable person for that year after I left the uh, military, as it were. Um, and so therefore, in, I've always maintained that my accident was... Um, First of all, it was entirely my own fault. And secondly, um, it was the uh, thing I needed something like that to happen to me to give me a good shake uh, and make me look at myself and see what I was doing to myself and to other people around me as well. You know, So it, it turned my life around in so many respects, not just in the physical uh, changes it made to my life, but also in the terms of my attitude towards life as well changed for the better right. um and you know i maintain that my life has been my, my life has certainly been a lot better since my accident than it was before because i had quite a, a difficult upbringing uh, as well so um yeah so there, there are some positives that i've taken away from that absolutely um, you say you were 19, so were you, you know, driving motorcycles, and like, were you kind of a, a daredevil type of thing? I mean, obviously you were in the military, so you had to be a little crazy, um, to do something I think it's, like that. Yes, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as a daredevil, but I do think that at that age, in your, in your late teens, right. um, particularly if you have a certain mentality, you have this degree or this belief, if you like, of invincibility, you know, um. And even though I joined the Marines, um, what happened was uh, uh, we had uh, a war. The UK was at war with Argentina over the Falkland Islands in 1982. Okay. Um, and I decided I was going to join the Navy from a very early age. But shortly before the Falklands War, I decided that I wanted to join the Royal Marines, um, which is a branch of the Navy. After the Falklands War came, it, it became 
it sort of hit home to everybody that war is real and that if you go to war, you can die. Um, and that just made me more determined to want to be a Marine. I wanted to go to war and do my part without possibly really understanding what that entails. Right. But it, you can only do that when you're at that, at that age in life because now I would look at that and think, well, it's ridiculous. I don't want to go to war. I could die. Or, I, you know, I would have to kill somebody. And I don't want to do that. But at that age, you have a mentality where you think you're invincible. If you do go to war, you're not going to die um, because I'm, I'm immortal. And so, therefore, I think that, like I say, you know, I even though I was riding this motorbike way too fast, I knew at the time that it was way too fast and it was dangerous. Um, I got a thrill from it as only you can do when you're at that age in life, really. So, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say I was a daredevil, but... Maybe a little rebellious? Know, Sorry, say that again? Maybe a little rebellious? Definitely rebellious. That was certainly my attitude at the time, you know, like I say. Um, I rebelled against absolutely everything, you know, um, and um, caused a lot of trouble. So this was just an extension of that that was leading in, you know, in some way not to, to a not very positive conclusion of one sort or another. Right. And you're, you're more than welcome. Yeah. You're more than welcome not to answer certain things, but does any of this, as far as going back to when you were 19, does any of that stem from something in your childhood? Like why um, you were, who you are, like why you were that way? Quite, quite possibly. Yeah. I mean, my childhood was quite difficult in so much as that, um, my parents were quite neglectful. I always believed that my parents didn't actually even like me. Um, and that manifested itself in, in many different ways. They couldn't um, get on, you know, so they would... Uh, my father was very violent towards my mother, towards myself and my brother, who's three years younger than me. Um, and... Um, my, excuse me, my mother was quite violent towards me as well, and I got the feeling that she picked on me a lot um, in a way that she didn't do to my younger brother. So I got the feeling that I was um, not very well liked at home, and I was bullied at school. I was always quite a good boy at school. Um, I always tried to do my best. I was quite uh, academic to a certain extent that I was not stupid, I got good grades, um, but never got any acknowledgement for it. Um, I was, I could do certain sports, I was rubbish at soccer, football, as we call it over here, right, right. Um, but I, I could do other sports, I was quite a good runner, a good sprinter, um, but again, you know, I never got the sense of feeling that my parents uh, were proud of me or really were that interested, to be honest. So I think that um, I was always trying to prove something. And I think joining the Marines was about trying to prove something to perhaps them. Right, right. Um, certainly trying to prove something to myself. Right. Um, and in the end, I kind of um, pulled a pin on that and ruined everything for me and I felt completely lost when I decided to leave. And 
And so, what will uh, be in feeling like I'm kind of on my own as a child, and I spent a lot of time on my own. I went to um, 13 different schools during the course of um, my um, upbringing. So you spend about 11 years at school um, from five till about uh, 16 in, in the UK. And um, in that time, I went to 13 different schools. So I was always the new boy. Now, was um, this, I'm sorry to cut you off. It was this due to like, were you getting kicked out of school, or is it you? Your parents kept traveling, or no, no. It, it was entirely down to my parents splitting up, getting back together again, splitting uh-uh. up again. Um, on two occasions, I was um, abandoned by my parents. Firstly, by my mother when I was seven years old. Um, there was a lot of violence in the house at that time. This would be around nineteen seventy-three. Um, and my mother decided that she was going to leave my father, not for the first time. Um, and I remember watching her leave. She took, she had my younger brother uh, holding one hand and the suitcase in the other hand. Um, and she walked away from the house. She told me that she was going shopping. And even though I was seven, I was still not. Uh, you know, I wasn't that stupid that I realized that you don't take a suitcase to go shopping. Right, right. Um, and I remember watching her disappear over the horizon with my brother um, and a suitcase and wondering then, why why didn't she take me? Um, and suddenly, I once she disappeared, you know, she, she, the top of her head disappeared over the horizon. Um up until that very moment, I thought she's going to turn around and realize she's forgotten me and come and get me, but uh, she didn't. Um, and so, therefore, she went, and suddenly I was stood there in the living room of the house on my own. There was nobody else in the house, um, and wondering what I'm going to do now. So, like any seven-year-old, I'd be thought, well, this seems like a good time to go and have a look what biscuits I can steal from the uh, biscuit tin. Um, and so I just went and got a handful of biscuits, went back to the spot in the living room where I'd seen my mum disappear and stuffed these biscuits into my mouth just in case she did come back and caught me because then I would be in trouble. Um, right, right. But, um, yeah, so I was on my own and then the next thing I know, I sort of fell asleep on the sofa. It, Late at night, I think it was about midnight before anybody came home, and I was then taken to live with various um, aunties and my uh, nan, my paternal grandmother, um, and uh, lived sort of amongst them. And they were very caring, they were very loving. My father was away, he was in what they call, uh, what they used to call a uh, institution, a mental home. Okay. Um, And he'd um, voluntarily put himself there because he decided he couldn't cope with the world. Um, Wow. And so for the next two years, I sort of spent my life rotating throughout my um, paternal uh, aunties and my grandmother. And then my father reappeared. Were they good to you? And uh, almost out of the blue, 
and uh, had a chat with me and asked me if I wanted to go and see my mother. So I, at that point, I hadn't seen for two years since the day she walked out of the house with my brother. Right. Was your um, grandma's good to you? Yeah, my aunt and grandma were they were they good to me? Yeah, like you know, in comparison to what your mom and dad were, they were terrible. But like, oh, they were they were fantastic. Oh, there great. was two aunties. I had my auntie Joan, my auntie Margaret, and my nanny, um, and they were fantastic. They looked after me very very well. Awesome. Um, and so I was quite lucky. Um, so as I say, my father reappeared after about two years. Uh, sat me down and asked me if I wanted to go and see my mother and my brother, and of course I said yeah. So one Saturday afternoon in 1976, I think it was, um, he took me to a place called Nottingham um, on a housing estate and uh, dropped me at the corner of this road and said, your mum and your brother are living at that house. Pointed this house out where they were um, and said, just go and knock on the door and you'll see them. So I went round the back of this house um, and my mother was there in the kitchen. My brother was sat on the back step putting his shoes on. Um, and my mum looked at me and started crying. Um, and um, she hugged me and... Uh, my brother then came up and started saying to my mum, who is it? Who is it? Because he, he didn't recognize me because he'd not seen me for so long. So my father then had told me he would be back at half past four in the afternoon to pick me up. Um, and I didn't see him again for quite a number of years. So needless to say, he didn't come back at half past four and and uh, didn't come back at all for me. So, again, you know, within the space of a couple of years, I was abandoned by uh, another parent. So I, my mother was then left with me. And I, over the course of the next few years, until I was old enough to leave home and join the forces, I just got the feeling that my mother resented me being there because at, at the time, it, it, I just got on with it. But later on in life, you get to process these things. And you start to analyze them and look for questions, uh, look for answers to the questions. Why? Um, and so, therefore, you look at back at what happened, and I kind of formed the conclusion that my mother didn't really want me. So, of course, you know, you could say it's inevitable I was going to do something to get away from home, and it had always been my ambition to join the Navy, and so I joined a, a different branch of the Navy than I expected to, and uh, and left. Um, and so, therefore, you know, when it came back to, when it came down to that uh, lost year between leaving the armed forces and having my accident, I was sort of playing out um, a whole bunch of things that have probably, I thought, had been buried for many, many years. Um, and yes, there was a, probably a great deal of resentment there for myself. Perhaps I'd been I'd been bullied at school all the way through schooling, um, to the point where at school, when the careers officer came and said, "You know, does anybody here want to join the Royal Marines?" I put my hand up, um, and the other kids in the class laughed because, you know, they I just didn't have that kind of reputation, you know, and right. being 
I'd, you know, I'd, I'd sort of portrayed myself as a victim. So, yeah, I was definitely trying to prove something there, and maybe that's why I pulled the plug on it, because I uh, just didn't feel that I belonged, or maybe I'd done everything that I felt that I wanted to, or either I'd proved to myself that I was capable, and certainly I learned an awful lot as a result of my time in the Marines about myself and about what I was capable of. And once I'd done that, I maybe restored a little bit of confidence and self-belief. Um, I decided to to leave um, and immediately regretted it. So there's a lot there in that period afterwards that a lot there for me to be resentful about. And I, I guess I didn't play it out particularly well. Um, and uh, the net result was that I ended up having my accident, and after I'd had my accident, I was in hospital for six months, um, and there's a couple of significant um, issues there, because after I had my accident, I was taken to a spinal injury unit in a place called Sheffield, in the, here in the UK, um, where I spent six months being rehabilitated, um, and I really pushed myself there to get and to rehabilitate myself and my attitude towards the rehabilitation was really positive. But that only came as a result of a one particular event that happened while I was in hospital. So for the first 10 days after my accident, I didn't speak to anybody. People would come and visit me, the nurses, the doctors, my friends, family. I wouldn't talk to anybody for the first 10 days. Apart from, you know, any words that I said were monosyllabic, um, and I didn't engage in conversation because, well, <laughs> I'd been super fit, and suddenly I had no idea what I was going to do, um, and uh, I was scared, you know. So what happened was I was in a side ward on my own, so I was able to wallow in my own self-pity quite successfully. And then the nurses and doctors said, we're moving you to the main ward now, again, with other spinal injuries patients. And I was so resistant to that. I didn't want that. So that's when I started talking and not in very positive terms, I might add. But I went to the main ward and in the bed opposite me was a young man who was a couple of years younger than me. So he was 17. Um... And he'd just come out of intensive care. He'd had uh, quite a long period in intensive care. And he was paralyzed from the neck down. So he had a similar injury to Christopher Reeve, the mm-hmm. actor. Um, and he was mobile by using a wheelchair that had a little joystick that went under his chin. And so he would operate his wheelchair with the joystick under his chin. But he, he couldn't move anything below shoulder level. Right. He could move one shoulder, uh, I remember. And he came over to my bed space and started talking to me. And I refused to engage with him. And I had a radio cassette player by the side of my bed and a pile of cassette tapes. And he said to me, um, why don't you put uh, some music on? And I said, I don't want to. And he said, well, why have you got the cassette then? You might as well put something on. So I said, well, if you want something on that badly, you put it on. And he said to me, 
I would do, but I can't move my arms. And that resonated with me. And he started telling me jokes to try and cheer me up. And it just, it just really hit home really hard, like a sledgehammer to the forehead, that here was I feeling sorry for myself. Um, and yet here was he, couldn't move any part of his body, he even struggled to breathe because he'd had the tracheotomy. Um, and yet he's uh, trying to cheer me up with jokes, and yet he's in a far worse position than me. Um, and I'm sitting there, I'm lying here in bed feeling sorry for myself when I can feed myself, I can wash myself. None of these things he could do for himself, and yet he's more positive than me. And so from that moment onwards, I've never, ever felt sorry for myself as a paraplegic. That's never. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I've been pissed off with certain situations and right. frustrated, but I've never felt sorry for myself. Because yeah. like the saying goes, there's always someone worse off than yourself. Right. And that really hits home when you see that person who's worse off than yourself. Absolutely. And you can see it, you can visualize it, and you can see it's a reality. So yeah. these people that go to famine-affected uh, countries um, and help these people out, you know, they must get the similar kind of feeling that these are people who are worse off themselves, or they go to war-torn countries and see what devastation has happened to these people. Again, these people must get the same kind of feeling that just how grateful they are for their lot when they see what's happened to some people who are much more unfortunate. So that was the first thing that changed my attitude. Right, before, um, before you go to the next thing, like, did you did you feel like you deserved what happened to you? Um, deserved. Like, just from, I mean, because, you know, you went through a lot of trauma and abuse and, and then, in a way, you were kind of acting out and doing certain things. And then what you did to kind of rebel or whatever, one, nearly cost you your life, but, you know, paralyzed you halfway down. Um, did, was there yeah. any sort of, because we all have guilt. And, and in your case, you probably, I'm sure, had a lot of guilt towards it because it's something you caused where some, you know, a lot of people in the disabled community, it's, it's you know, a disease or something affects them. Sure. Um, where in your case, you know, in a way, you, I mean, you, you were the cause of your your problem. Um, so, yeah, did you have any guilt or, or, or did you, I'm sorry, did you feel like, you know, you were the, you know, yeah, did you have guilt and did you feel like you were the the real reason? Like, you know, did you have hatred well, towards yourself? I, guilt, no. Um, in fact, I would say that my feelings towards my accident were quite the opposite um, in as much as that I felt that this was, I felt grateful for my accident. Genuinely, wow. um, I, I felt grateful for the fact that it could have been so much worse. The way I was acting out, the way I was behaving prior to my accident, um, the attitude that I had towards myself, I really, really hated myself, um, <clears throat> which I know now. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't like myself, I didn't respect myself, I had no self-respect, no self-discipline. Um, and so I was, like I say, when I say I was a thoroughly dislikable person, I was. Um, 
And so I've always had a positive attitude towards my accident, particularly after the moment that I met Trevor. That was his name, the young man in the right, wheelchair. Right. Um, and I looked back at it then and thought, well, this was something that happened for the good. It's like somebody grabbed hold of me by the scruff of the neck and gave me a good shake and said, look at what you're doing to yourself. You need to sort that out. And so, therefore, um, it was um, it was a realization that what happened to me was a good thing because here was an opportunity now for me to change my life completely and do something else completely. Um, and so, yeah, you know, and in a sense, you could say I didn't deserve that because what I got was a second chance. Um, and because of the way I was behaving prior to that, I didn't deserve it. Um, but I certainly don't resent the fact that I had an accident because where I'm at now in my life, I would definitely wouldn't be here were it not for the accident. And so many other things have happened since my accident right. that have taken me on a journey to where I am now. Um, so... It was kind of the opposite to feeling as though I deserved it as a kind of yeah. punishment. Do you, did you I, have you forgiven yourself at least for how you were acting before the accident? I mean, oh yeah, because a lot of a lot of it from you know the trauma as a child, like you know, it wasn't just. I mean, you know, we all have to take responsibility for our problems, but you know, a lot of times when people become a certain way, or you know, how you were acting, the reality was like, you know, in a way, you had a reason, yeah. even though it. You know, you also didn't. I mean, in some ways, you still shouldn't treat people like crap, but or, or, or you know, act certain ways. But in general, you know, you look how you were abused and, and just kind of thrown away. Like, that does something to people, uh, especially to a child. Yeah, I, I think that what it's done is, um, yeah, I've completely forgiven myself um, for the way that I behave because... Yes, you're absolutely right. There was a reason behind it. And in a sense, I suppose the way I look at it now is I was purging myself of um, what had gone prior to my life, the mistakes I'd made and the, the way the, the mistakes that other people had made towards me. Um, I was kind of, it had, it had clearly built up something inside me. And so I look at it in terms of it, uh, it being a purge. Um, getting it out of my system. A little bit like that scene in uh, The Green Mile where um, John Coffey sort of takes the uh, poison from the Tom right, Hanks right. character and then just exhales it, or all this poison <laughs> exhales it. Um, and I've often thought that that period of my life, that one year, was the same sort of thing. I'm purging my uh, self of clearly something poisonous that had built up inside of me. Um, That's kind of what uh, anger is. I mean, anger, it just festers and it just, uh, it just yeah, builds absolutely. up to the point where if you don't, if you don't uh, sure. address it right away, the longer it goes, sometimes, you know, it may linger in there. I mean, I've had problems where I was in therapy and like they would bring something up about something in my life and it would trigger and it would, I, I would just go on these like, rants of anger and i'm like wow like i kept that in there for oh, so yeah. long and it's like 
No wonder and why. And the thing I is, with, without the without my accident, I may have gone through an able-bodied life with that still inside of me. Who knows where that purge would have stopped? Right. You know, it may never have done, and I may still be carrying it around to this day. But um, the way I look at it is that the the accident um, kind of um, sort of brought it to a conclusion that part of my life and gave me an opportunity to rewrite who I am uh, on my own terms. Um, yeah. And in a sense, you're starting from a blank sheet. You know, you, whoever you want to be starts now. Yeah. Um, and even in hospital, but I, there were still some things I had to deal with with regard to my parents because um, <clears throat> I'd started a relationship. Uh, the uh, In fact, the first date we were supposed to have was on the night of my accident. Um, wow. We were supposed to go out, myself and my partner, then um, my girlfriend, Jane, we were supposed to go out on our first date. And, of course, I stood her up, uh, not knowing that I was in hospital. Um, and my mother became very jealous of the relationship that I had at the time. Um, and uh, with the hospital I was in was quite some distance from where I was living. And so whenever she visited, she would go and pick up my girlfriend and bring her. Um, and then suddenly she stopped picking her up without telling us, just turning up on her own and trying to tell me that she didn't want to come and see me anymore, which, of course, was rubbish. But that was her jealousy playing out. Um, now, when uh, during the same time, my mother and father were still split up and they were still occasionally having their issues um, and my father came to see me in hospital at the same time as one of my mum's then boyfriends who I got on with very well, he was a great guy and um, he came, saw that my mum's boyfriend was there and made a scene at the hospital it all got very heated and very unpleasant he then wrote me a letter whilst I was in hospital telling me he never wanted to see me again and that I was a loser and that I deserved my accident wow. because I was selfish um, and various other uh, things that I won't repeat. But basically, he was venting his anger at me and I, and I was uh, lying in bed paralyzed. Um, so he, he'd still got issues there. And then, of course, my mom had got issues as well. So basically what happened then after my accident is after six months, I discharged myself from hospital because I thought I'd gone through enough rehabilitation. I felt fine and I wanted to get on with my life. I didn't want to spend more time in hospital than I had to. Um, and so I discharged myself to my mom's house where I was living before I had my accident. And there was talk then of um, my mum's house. It was what we call a council house. So it's owned by the state and she rents the house off the state um, but doesn't own the house. And <clears throat> my mother had lived there for about five, we'd all lived there for about five years at that point. And um, the council were going to 
convert the house to make it suitable for me. So they were actually going to build a complete annex on the side of the house that would be a self-contained place for me to live. And then they were going to totally modernize the whole house. So in effect, my mum's house was going to be modernized completely because of my needs, if you like. And then when I started telling her that actually, when I discharged myself, myself and my girlfriend are going to get a place together, um, she kicked me out of the house. So she told me I couldn't live there anymore, and I'd only just discharged myself from hospital. So I couldn't go back to the hospital and live there because I discharged myself, and I couldn't stay at my mum's house because she kicked me out because she was jealous of the fact she wasn't going to get a house converted anymore. Um, so after six months after my accident, I found myself homeless. Um, and so luckily, my girlfriend's family came to my rescue and they um, accommodated me for the next year, I think, um, before we bought the house together. Um, so that kind of had an effect on me. So I've got my mother and father still trying to put a spanner in the works whilst I'm trying to rehabilitate myself after my accident. And so the years that have prevailed, I haven't had uh, a great deal of contact with them because I basically decided that, you know, there are sometimes it's better not to have toxic people inside your life and inside your head uh, who are just going to cause you grief, cause you problems, and bring nothing positive to your life. Right. So why maintain a relationship with them? So I've been estranged on and off from my parents since then. Um, and to the point now where I know I'll never see either of them again. They're still both alive. Um, I know I'll never with see that? them again. And I'm fine with that. Right. I'm so absolutely I, fine with it. I've always been, like, I always say I'm a, I'm a big proponent of family doesn't mean blood like to me there's people i love in this world that i have no blood relation whatsoever um and then there's people that i'm related to that i despise um or yeah. just dislike and it's like yeah like just because they brought you into this world doesn't mean they're good people doesn't mean you know they'll always have the title mom and dad because they you know they are the ones that brought you into this world but you don't have to love them they don't you don't have to respect them or care about them because you know, they honestly don't deserve your love or respect in this case. Absolutely. And I would always advocate the same thing to anybody else, you know, that uh, if you're, if, you, if all you're getting from the relationship is pain, why are you still in that relationship? And that can apply to any relationship in life. Right. Um, if that relationship is full of pain and poison and discomfort, then it's time you got out of it one way or another you know, um, whichever the type of relationship it is. So that's how that's been. Um, and so there are a number of things there. And I think that my time in the armed forces helped me with the, have the right attitude for my rehabilitation because the training that I did in the Royal Marines is obviously very tough. Um, and so I approached my rehabilitation with the same attitude. I wanted it to be tough. I wanted it to push. I wanted to push myself, um, and I did. And felt completely rehabilitated after six months and ready to take on the world. Um, and over the course of the next 
30 years. Um, I managed to, um, the relationship I was in there came to an end uh, after seven years. And uh, I suddenly found myself in quite a frightening position because I'd never actually lived independently since my accident. Right. Um, and wondered whether I was going to be able to do it. So I was a bit scared of that. Um, but I managed to do it. And then um, my now wife came into my life uh, shortly after that. Um, we got married in 1994. Wow. We started a relationship in 1993. We got married in 1994. And we're still married to this day. Awesome. Um, we have two grown-up adopted boys um, who we're very proud of. And during the course of that time, from when I met my wife, uh, my life really took off. And I built up, I became an entrepreneur and uh, worked in several types of businesses. Some worked, some didn't. Um, I had a business for 22 years where I employed people at the height of that. I employed about 25 people at one point. Um, built up a a pretty decent income, and I now live in a very nice part of the world. Um, but then in 2018, the business started to fail, um, and what happened was we were uh, a company that provided educational material for schools to teach young children about safety, so board games, computer games, that right, sort right. of thing. Um, and it helped to teach young children about various aspects of safety. Um, and what happened was our offices got broken into, our computers got stolen, and we were targeted for our database because at that point we had a database going back 20 years with clients' <coughs> details on there who spent money with us and helped. And basically what we used to do is distribute these games packs two schools free of charge um, by getting the business community to sponsor the distribution. So in, t in return for a PR benefit, the businesses would sponsor the distribution. Um, <clears throat> and so what happened was the uh, computers were stolen and the database was ripped off and passed to fraudsters who then started contacting our customers and um, defrauding them in our name. Um, and so, therefore, almost overnight, we lost a lot of our com uh, customers uh, and loyalty that we'd built up over many, many years. And so, therefore, it was inevitable what was going to happen. The business uh, folded six months later in April uh, 2019. Um, so, you know, I was then uh, a director of a failed company. And so since then, what I've done is, I'd, uh, when I set the business up, it was literally me at home, on the phone, doing everything. <coughs> Excuse me. And so I decided that that was the only option open to me after the company had folded to start again. And so I did, I started again. Um, and after about 18 months or so, a year, I realized that I hated it. Um, I could do it. Um, but I didn't like doing it. And the stress and anxiety it was causing me um, 
was so great that I would wake up in the morning um, with a huge amount of anxiety. I'd be uh, throwing up uh, as soon as I got to the bathroom, not because I was ill, just because I was stressed. All the way through the day, I'd be uh, really, really anxious until eventually I started having panic attacks um, with the uh, anxiety. And so, therefore, it became apparent I couldn't continue doing this. Um, and so, it was suggested to me that I become a life coach. My wife suggested that given what I'd been through um, and the way I dealt with things, that being a life coach might be beneficial to other people um, and that I'd be able to coach them through various different difficult situations and help them fulfill the lives that they desire. Um, and my focus, although not exclusively, but certainly mainly, is on helping disabled people like myself. Um, and figure, I figured that there must be a lot of disabled people throughout the whole world who suddenly find themselves in a situation where they are disabled from for whatever cause, but have previously had a life where they weren't, perhaps, um, and are struggling with the transition and maybe want to do something with their lives, but are at a loss as to what to do or how to do it. Um, and I figured that, um, having been through that myself, that I could probably help some of these people and give them a, a shoulder to lean on, if you like, somebody to lean on, somebody mm -hmm. who can offer them some advice, um, and somebody that can really get to the the depth of their problem, understand them from a point of empathy, and help guide them in the direction, whatever that direction is, that where they want to go. And so that's how, I guess, that I find myself talking to you, TJ, <laughs> really, but right. that's how I have the cross. The way I look at it, like, your life is this, like, every time, like, you get this dark cloud, like, oh, there's a storm coming, and then after the storm, a rainbow comes out of it. Like, every yeah. time something bad happens to you, something good comes from it and you learn from it and like it's made you who you are because you have you know obviously i think more bad has happened than good but the good that has happened has kind of overwritten all of it um you know it's easy yeah. to just say well i'm in a wheelchair and i like my life's over screw it but you didn't do that i mean you could easily say well my business is done everything i've worked for is all this money i made i'm done and then it's like oh well, why not just do the obvious? Take care of the people like me, and 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 you know, because I think that's yeah. one of the things. That's one of the reasons why I'm starting to love this so much is because I'm doing something I'm passionate about and something I love and I care about. And if you don't do that, then yeah, you're you're going to be unhappy as far as when it comes to work. Um, and so yeah, like I, yeah, you, you're like, absolutely right, CJ. You know, and there's a lot to be gained by helping other people, you know, and I'm, I talk to uh, all sorts of people now, you know, so entrepreneurs, able-bodied and disabled, um, and um, people who uh, maybe been injured 
recently uh, as a result of the war, you know, um, lost limbs. Um, and there are lots and lots and lots of these people out there who um, could just, for whom, you know, just having somebody to guide them um, makes their life a bit better. And if I play a small part in that, then I don't mind admitting that makes me feel good right. about life. Yeah. And it makes me feel as though what I've been through has uh, a currency that I can give back. I can pay it forward then to Absolutely, some of these yeah. people um, and, you know, spread it around a little bit. A little bit of currency here, a little bit of currency there and try and help some of these people and be a coach to them. And that's what, um, and that's what I'm going to do now for as long as I'm capable of doing it. I want to coach people and with a particular um, orientation towards people like myself who've had a disability but want a little bit more out of their lives and they're not prepared to just settle for whatever it is that they feel, the cards that they've been dealt, you know. Yeah, and your energy Um, is very infectious. Like you're going to inspire people, not just in our community, um, but just, I mean, the people are going to see like, wow, like I'm sitting here crying because my girlfriend broke up with me or whatever, or whatever it is yeah. that they're going through. And it's like, man, like this guy's in a wheelchair and he's strolling through life, you know, metaphorically and literally, and he's just doing good things when he doesn't have to, he could just, no one would blame you for just sitting in your house and being sad and, and whatever wanting to die or any anything terrible but you don't you keep going and there's people that are going to just see that and just go you know what like i need to be better in my life uh yeah. able or, or not uh and, yeah absolutely you know and um one of the things that i when i first had my accident my um physiotherapist um <clears throat> was dating a guy in a wheelchair who'd had his accident probably about a year, 18 months earlier than mine. And he was working in a a garage and there was a car on a ramp um, and the safety flaps that are supposed to come down on the ramp didn't operate properly and the car fell off the ramp and landed on top of him. And he was paralyzed from the waist down. But he started a wheelchair basketball team. um, And um, I, start, I was then invited by my um, physiotherapist to go and train with her then boyfriend's new wheelchair basketball team. Um, and this was a great means of mental rehabilitation for me, being part of something uh, with a group of people similar to myself but in a very positive environment. And you're wanted, you're needed, like you weren't, as a child, like you found a purpose and just like what you're doing uh, to helping people. Yeah. Like, like I think, because that was something I wanted to ask yeah. you, like have you, before you get to that part, uh, did has it been hard for you to like let people in and, you know, actually, like because you have a wife and she obviously loves you and accepts you for who you are, but, you know, for yeah. I'm sure for the longest, you would just you just wanted your mom and dad to accept you for who you are, and they didn't. And you know, those are two of the biggest role models in most people's lives. Um, yeah. So how hard was that? You know, eventually when you know, it's a very perceptive. Yeah. yeah, it's a very perceptive question that TJ because 
Um, yeah, I was emotionally guarded for many, many years. Um, and in fact, the breakdown of my previous relationship, um, I attribute in no small part to my inability to let my guard down and to be open in a relationship um, because of the way that I've been brought up. I've never really had um, what I felt was people who, I could never trust those relationships not to um, take advantage of me letting my guard down, if you like. And so it's, uh, I attribute that I'm, I'm a much more open person now, you know, and I'm, right. I'm not afraid to show my emotions. And I attribute that 100% to my wife, Louise, because she brought that out in me. Um, awesome. And But she was prepared to work with me whilst I wasn't showing that, if you like. And yeah. so therefore, you know, it's um, it was a journey. Um but thank God she did, you know, <laughs> and thank uh, thank goodness that she was prepared to stick with me she through the early days you. when I was perhaps a bit reserved. Yeah, I was very, very lucky, you know, in terms of, you know, I, I look back in, uh, at my accident and I've said previously, you know, that I look at it and consider it a blessing in disguise, if you like, that it turned my life around. Nobody, no one person turned my life around to the extent of my wife, Louise, you know, if I... I hadn't met her, my life would be completely different, not for the better, I don't so, Right. You know, she had a profound effect on so many parts of my life, but definitely that part of being more open. And that helped enormously for when we got children. You know, we adopted children. Our first child, Jack, we adopted in 2001. And it may come as no surprise to you or anyone that's listening to this, but I went through a difficult time um, being a parent for the first time and wondering what kind of father I'd be, right, you know, and right. it, I did struggle with it for the longest time, but I think eventually it got it sorted, we've got a good relationship now, and then we adopted our other child, our younger ch youngest child, Oliver, a year later, um, and they're now... 22 and 19. How do they um, see you? I mean, obviously you're different, but like, how do they accept you? They, well, people have said that once they get to know me, they don't see the wheelchair. And so I'm assuming it's the same for them. You know, they've always known me as the way I am. And right. So therefore the wheelchair is, is there, you know. But um, you'd have to ask them. I guess I, I think I'm just dad to them. I'm That's just, awesome. Yeah. I'm just dad. Yeah. You know, um, and everything that goes with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I think they look upon me the same as many other uh, kids of that sort of age group do. You know, <laughs> both good and bad. You know. Right. 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 Um, uh, and so, and in that respect, I think our relationship is completely normal. Good. Um, because I've, I've not lived, you see, one of the things I did was when I, when I played wheelchair basketball, I found that I was living in a disabled world. So my entire social life was taken up with the wheelchair basketball team. 
I didn't really have. I had, of course, I had friends from prior to my accident, but I made a conscious decision that I didn't want to surround myself with uh, other paraplegics all the time. I needed to be out in the real world and get used to living as a disabled person in the real world. Um, because it is a real world, one way or the other, and a lot of people, um, a lot of people with disabilities, particularly those of us who suddenly find ourselves through no choice of our own, well, nobody chooses to be disabled, but you suddenly find yourself disabled, thrown into this world. It's very easy to cocoon yourself in a disabled world and just live within the realms of being disabled. So you just, you just stay within a social circle um, or a support circle. You only go to places where you feel safe, like hospitals and social places uh, around that. And I'm talking from my own experience. And you kind of shut out the real world as much as possible because it's a bit scary place. And so I made the conscious decision that after my accident, I wasn't going to do that. I wanted to live in the real world. And if I was going to work and get a job, then I had to do it in the real world. I had no talents, no, nothing that uh, I could possibly use to get a job. So I had no idea how I was going to do that. But I knew I had to because it's a big world out there. And if I was going to make something of myself, it had to be in this world. And so... What I did was I made that decision that I was going to make a life for myself in the real world, um, however difficult that was. And so I know what it is. I know what it feels like when you're newly disabled and you're kind of thinking, you know, you, you will be full of fear and dread about what the real world is going to be like for you now. And so I think that, you know, back then, it was quite tough for me, as you can imagine, but to have somebody at my side or in my corner who was who had been through it before, able to guide me um, through into and uh, make the transition into a new world would have been fantastic. And so, if I can be that person for other people, then um, how brilliant for both of us! It means that what I did. Um, it has some value to other people and I can support them and I can guide them through this transition period um, and and kind of pay it back. And, uh, you know, they get something from it in terms of if they're feeling anything like I did, then they, they'll need someone like me. You know, some people will want someone like me and some people will need someone like me. Um, oh, here I am. <laughs> you know, I'm, right, right. Uh, I'm, I'm able to, you know, able to help people wherever they are in the world, you know. And so if they just reach out to me, I'm happy to discuss with them. But it's a nice feeling to be in a positive state. It's a nice feeling to live my life full of positivity. And... Right, right. Um, you know, like you say, you said before, you know, if uh, shit happens um, and it, everybody has that in their life. Nobody's life is smooth. Nobody's life is unencumbered by difficult, uh, you know, unaffected by difficulties. Everybody has them. 
And it's not about what happens to you, it's how you decide to deal with it that yeah. makes you, well, you the also, that you are. You also live the majority of your life in a not-so-positive mindset. You know, obviously, yeah. you know, as a kid and being young, but just taking a while to adjust to the new situation of being disabled and obviously your teenage years and rebelling and all that. So like a good part of your life has just been this dark cloud of just negativity, but now you're in this headspace and it's like someone could, you can make the case. It's like, well, why are you so positive? Because nothing's gotten better for you, but it has like, you're married, you have kids and you know, you've, you come, I mean, you did, you've overcome an obstacle that most of us don't achieve, which is, coming to terms with having a disability and still loving and accepting yourself. Um, yeah. And that's something Absolutely. that a lot of people don't achieve, even if they don't have a disability, just loving themselves, period. Um, and just realizing, yeah. like, hey, yeah, I yeah, am absolutely. who I am, and, you know, I don't care what the world thinks about me. I am, a, you know, whatever. I'm a woman. I'm gay. I'm, I'm whatever. Um, but in your case, it's like, I'm disabled, and, you know, it, things aren't going to be easy, but... You know, I don't, you started off in a place where nothing was easy. So it's kind of, you know, it's something you're used to. So you just kind of, maybe, I don't know, maybe you just thrive in it and it, it helps you get through life. Of course. You know, and I think there's, I, I see myself as a survivor. Um, right, right. And I think, I think that a lot of us have got a lot more survival strength inside us than we possibly know and um, if you but if we never get to challenge it we never find out what we're capable of and that's one thing that I learned from my time particularly in my training uh, in the Marines in the Royal Marines uh, is that I push myself to uh, degrees that I never thought I was capable of um, and realized that actually <clears throat> When you do that, it makes you stronger physically and mentally. Right. And so, therefore, I think that we all have that ability within ourselves to varying degrees. And if we never get faced with it, we never know what we're capable of until we push ourselves. And therefore, when somebody finds themselves in a position where they have a disability, or maybe they've had a disability for years, um, and suddenly decide they want more from their life than they have now um, but don't know how to go about getting it well having someone there to push you I mean I had somebody to kick my backside when I joined up but I certainly wouldn't have pushed myself that hard so I had someone there to push me um, and so therefore um, I think that Myself being a survivor, I feel that everybody has a survival instinct. It's an innate thing. It's born within us. And if you think about, let's say you're in a shipwreck and you suddenly find yourself bobbing around in the sea, the first thing you're going to do is look for something that's floating that you can grab hold of. That's the first thing you do. It's a survival instinct. Right. Um, and then when you've grabbed hold of it, you're gonna. the, the next thing you're going to look for is land somewhere hard, terra firma, somewhere you can plant yourself. And so therefore, you're going to, you have this survival instinct that you never knew you had because you didn't intend to be in a shipwreck. Um, mm -hmm. But we all have this survival instinct. And if you get an inkling that there might be land beyond the horizon, whatever, 
then you're going to you start off with every intention of trying to find land as a means of survival. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, we have this survival instinct that's within us, and sometimes we don't recognise it until we're forced into a position that makes us. Um, and that's what I firmly believe with everybody. You know that that most people faced with my situations would probably do something similar, you know. And yes, okay, I've been beaten down a lot of times <laughs> and I've had a lot of lemons um, served my way, but uh, I still like the taste of lemonade, you know, so I'm right. quite happy to make as much lemonade as possible. You keep serving me lemons, I'll keep making lemonade. Um, and so therefore, you know, um, there's the best part of my life is this part of my life now. You know, I've got grown-up children, and I've got an opportunity. I've got a great marriage. You know, so I always manage to keep a good work-life balance. That's difficult, but I manage to do it, and I'm quite happy to share that with people as well. Mm-hmm. You know, again, with able-bodied people, um, <clears throat> I can share that. Just how you keep a good work-life balance? How do you keep a marriage successful and a business successful at the same time? Not easy. No. Um, but it is doable. Okay. Um, do you think, uh, so, I'm sorry, uh, do, do, do you think you accepting your disability, like coming to terms, do you think that had something to do, like, or at least it's, uh, on the amount of, like, how easy it was for you in, in some ways? Do you think it stems from, you know, becoming a Marine? Like, you know, the, the idea is you could, you could end up in the same way you are right now, but through war, uh, or obviously death or anything like that. Like, do you think like that is kind of part of how you became? I mean, obviously it, it made you more of a, a survivor, but also, I mean, I don't know. Maybe in some kind of instinctively, it made you, you know, you were maybe you were coming to terms with like, okay, yeah, like bad things could happen to me out here. Um, and, yeah, yeah, I think I think if you, yeah, I think if you want an, a, 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 the best example I can think of that comes to mind is the the Invictus Games. And the people that take part in that, who are, um, they're all ex-military. Um, and these are people that have found themselves disabled through performing their role in various situations, um, usually as a result of war. And they've been left with a disability as a result of that. But they all have one thing in common. They've got that military mentality where... Um, you, you know, there's, there's that overriding question: which comes first? Is it that did the men, was the mentality always there, which led them to join the military, or did the fact that they joined the military give them the strength to overcome their disabilities and strive for something more? Um, it's a difficult thing to answer, but from my point of view. Like I say, like I said before, you know, as far as the rehabilitation of myself is concerned, I attacked it in the same way that I attacked my um, commando trading in so much as that it was going to be tough. If it wasn't going to be tough, it wasn't going to serve me and it wasn't going to make me the best version of myself. And so, and so <coughs> excuse me, and so therefore I had to put 100% into it in order to find out what I was capable of. Um, and so 
yeah, again, you know, I I had a model to follow as far as my rehabilitation, not just in the immediate aftermath of my accident, but since then. I have a model to look at and say, well, you know, this bad thing's happening. Um, the best thing you can do is formulate some kind of plan to get around it and put it into action and do something. Doing something is better than doing nothing. Um, and so, yeah, um, I, like I say, I got a model to follow as a result of my time in the forces. Um, but and it's definitely helped me since, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I put I put full credit to that in terms of being a tangible model that I can follow. Yeah, well, I'm super happy that you're still around and very proud of everything you've gotten through. No, we just met, but sorry, I didn't hear you then, TJ. <clears throat> a bit quiet. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can. Hear yeah. You. Um, no, I'm just saying I'm I'm super happy that you're just alive, and I'm very proud that everything you've accomplish um i know we just met but uh it, <laughs> I'm, it, I'm quite pleased about it as well yeah yeah it, it's amazing you know again we're two people that live other parts of the world and and you know we both have been through a lot of shit but it's like you know it's amazing how people can just connect and you know little things you just learn from each other and you just realize like you know it feels good that there's not you know because we all kind of sometimes feel like we're alone and we're you know we're not there's no one out there like us no one's going through the same pain or whatever um and and there's some truth to that but you know because you you know we all have our own minds but in general it's always nice when you are just out here and, and you're trying to do something like you and i are doing and it's like Oh, there's a bunch of us out here doing things. It's just, you just got to put the spotlight on it and just realize like, oh shit, like we, if we just come together a little more and we just start looking around and try to see who else is doing these things, like, you know, little by little, we can actually make a difference in this community. Um, Well, of course we do, we can, and I firmly believe that, PJ, and one of the things that that, um, I would definitely say is that the big turnaround for me in terms of my position and what set me on a good grounding for the rest of my life was Trevor. Right, the, right. He was the start. Know, the, 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 you know, the Trevor situation and the fact that he came into my life acted in a way that resonated with me and gave me something to cling on to for the rest of my life. Sadly, he's no longer with us now. Um, but um, he gave me something that I've never forgotten. And here was a disabled man, uh, a young a boy, who came into my life to um, at just the right moment, said and did the right things, that and gave me a gift that um, I feel that um, it's my duty to pass on right. to other people to be that Trevor for other people. Yeah. And if I can do that, if I can just do that for one, a handful of people or a thousand people, um, it will it will make me feel better and hopefully some of those people better as well. Well, by you just sharing your story and talking to me, I mean, you're helping me even deal with my crap. So... Um, you know, and I, well, I'm glad to, glad to hear that. If in yeah. some small way it helps people, that yeah. 
it validates our existence. Right. And then like just by doing this, like I tell a lot of the guests I have on, you know, I tell them like, hey, like there's some like there's people that like things that things I say and they agree with that whatever and they can resonate to me to a certain extent, but you know, there's people who are paraplegics and they can relate to you way more or you know maybe they they relate to you more just because you you're and you know they're in that part of the world um and they're willing yeah. to listen to you a little more just anything can trigger something and and we all like i said a lot of us feel alone and we don't have anyone like us and then it's just like oh a voice comes on like for you trevor and it's just like oh like and, and a lot of times yeah. yeah they're they're worse off and it's like it makes you you know, I've, I've told people like people like able bodies. I'm like, look, if, if my eyes and the things I've been through make you feel better about yourself, that's fine. Like, that's okay. Like, as long as you don't treat me any different, that's like, you should appreciate what you have because I appreciate the things that I have that other people don't like talking to you. Like, and I'm not teasing you by any means. Like, I appreciate that I can walk. Like, that's something like before doing this podcast, like I took for granted. And talking to you yeah. and Rob and a few of the people I had on, like, it makes me realize, like, I can walk. I can get up. Um, doesn't mean my life is still easy. It's just easier. And, you know, like I said, I have things. I, I can see some. I'm not completely blind, you know. There's things I can do. And we have to kind of realize that and just appreciate the things that we have and stop dwelling on the things we don't. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the glass, the glass has to be half full. Um, yeah. and as long as you see it as half full and keep that at the back of your mind then um, there's no reason why you can't live a fulfilled a happy and positive life with more than you ever expected right and we're littered with mental health like mental health is just something that comes with what we are um, and yeah. if we don't address those things we don't battle and we don't try to make you know changes and try to become a better person um, and we don't, we don't try to accept ourselves. Like we don't, we got to stop trying to make the world accept us because in, in most cases we're not going to be, but we can still be happy. We can still live our lives and we can still do good things in this world. Um, and there are people that are completely the opposite or completely not like us, able bodies, and they will accept us. Um, you know, and yep, absolutely. There are good people absolutely. out here. And so we just yeah. we have to find them and hold on to them and, you know, we just, like I said, people just need to stick together. It's, it doesn't need to just be disabled people. We just, you know, like I said, you, I mean, you've seen the things that have gone on in this past year, whether it's in your country or mine, it's just crazy shit that happens every day. And it's like, man, like it, it makes you feel how divided we are and how far apart we are. But it's like, there are people out here that are still doing good yeah. things and it, we just can't keep letting it be overshadowed by all the, uh, the foolery. Um, course yeah absolutely i couldn't agree more with you absolutely yeah and so and that's why it's like you know us meeting each other like we just gotta you know obviously like i said you ever need anyone to talk to or a friend just please call me message me whatever you want um i you know this isn't just about the podcast like of course i want to share your story but i also want to keep in it's, touch and just you know shoot the shit with you that's, that's very kind and um it's good to have a new friend Good to have a new friend and good to talk to you, CJ. Right. And thank you for the opportunity to Absolutely. tell my story. And um, and if it resonates with anybody, then and I don't know. I, I, I don't want to use the word inspire because, um, you know, it, it sounds like 
I'm sort of bigging myself up a little bit. But, no, you, you should. You know, but if it, if it does inspire people to think that they can do a little bit more, then great. You know, my my work is done, as it were. You know, my, my, my world has meaning. Right. No. And, and you do. And like I said, I'm, I'm the interviewer, but you make me feel better about myself and not in a bad way. Just, I, I just look at things you can do. And I just like, like sitting around here in my apartment. I'm just like, you know what, get up and go do something already. Like, you know, like you make me just, you make me motivate. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm motivated, but you know, we all get complacent and, and we tend to we feel sorry for ourselves or get frustrated, but it's like these type of interviews, like meeting you and just talk, like I said, this is the first time we've ever talked as far as vocally. Um, yeah. And it's like, you know, in, in general, we met, you know, sometime the last week, but we didn't really talk, talk. I just saw you on your uh, group and, and just kind of met. And it's like, this is our first real interaction. And it's like, it feels like we've known each other for a while. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean you've you've helped me. So and you know I, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I'm glad. I'm so glad. if you can affect me, I'm sure you. And again, like I said, I don't know what it's like to be in your shoes, but you know, and only in small increments. But in general, like if you can impact yeah. me, you're definitely going to impact people, especially that are a lot like you, or just disabled people, or anybody who's just going through some sort of mental pain or anything. So I'm sure, yeah. and I'm sure you already do it whether it has anything to do with my podcast or just in your own life and your own, you know, what you right. do for a living. Yeah. Good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, buddy. Um, I think uh, I'm trying to think I just put out episode 29. So yeah, you're probably going to be maybe like 32. So you'll be out in a few weeks. Um, okay. I, I got to work on it, but I, I promise it will be out. Um, I just got to edit it and do some things or whatever, but um yeah like okay, I, said, I will let you know but even in between that we'll keep in touch and all that and uh i said i will let you know when it's out great all right buddy like i said thank you again i appreciate this no problems at all tj thank you very much again and it's a pleasure sort of being on your podcast and i'm going to follow it please do. um religiously now right uh if you ever need anything please just message me will do all right, buddy. Likewise as well. Take care, my friend. Take care. Take Bye. care. Well, guys, that was... Well, the coins. That was pretty damn amazing. Oh, what a good dude. Um, Yeah. If you heard some sniffling in the background, I was not crying, even though I this has made me happy and sad at the same time because I just hate hearing people's pain and, you know, but I'm very, I'm just, I love that guy. Uh, I just met him and I can easily say that. Um, but yeah, guys, I'll see you next week. And uh, yeah, I don't know if that doesn't motivate you. I don't know what the hell is going to, what will. Uh, so everyone take care. Appreciate the things you have. And uh, see you on the next one. Take care, guys. Oh, bye-bye.